Ryan with Cajun Cardboard coming at you from the great state of Louisiana with another fantasy basketball video. Today we're going to talk about 10 players that changed teams in the offseason leading into this 2022-23 NBA season. We're going to take a look at uh, eight categories. Uh, for those of you who play true eight category Roto, this is not going to be super helpful for those of you guys who are points based. But I'm a Roto guy, an eight-category Roto guy, so we're going to look at their numbers from last year, their projected numbers from this upcoming season uh, from the Monster Basketball website, and uh, just give you my general thoughts on what I think about the changes, whether the players will improve uh, from a fantasy perspective or be less effective and less valuable for a fantasy perspective. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk about 10 of them. We'll start with the best at the very beginning. I've got a very rudimentary, as always, Excel spreadsheet. I don't have uh, a highly paid content team putting my graphics together, so you're just going to have to bear with me. But I've got 10 players that I think are super relevant in the fantasy basketball world. I know there's others, but I had to choose 10 to keep the video at a reasonable length. First, let's start with DeJounte Murray. This was probably one of the most confusing and uh, shocking trades of the offseason. DeJounte Murray was an absolute phenom last year. Uh, he's up here on this top line. Uh, what you'll see on this graphic is that the yellow highlighted line was each player's statistics from the season before. The line above, which is either going to be slightly red or slightly green, will be an indication of whether I think they're going to get better or worse. Uh, so if a player is highlighted in red, I think their fantasy value this upcoming season will be lower. Uh, they will be less fantasy valuable than they were the season before. If it's green, then I think they will be better than the year before. And so as you can see, I think DeJounte Murray's numbers are going to drop off a little bit. But look at last year. I mean, I don't know how much you can improve. He was the 11th ranked fantasy basketball player last year. I had the miserable decision in my dynasty league of deciding whether to keep Fred Van Vliet or DeJounte Murray. This was not, you know, this summer, but last summer. And I chose Fred Van Vliet. I had no idea DeJounte Murray was going to take that massive jump forward and become the number 11 ranked fantasy player out there. He played 68 games. Obviously, he played huge minutes, more minutes than anybody on this list at 34.8 last season. He averaged 20 points over, uh, you know, 1.43s, eight rebounds a game, nine assists a game, over two steals a game, which makes him preposterously valuable. That assist-steals combination is just filthy. He shot a respectable 46% on a ton of field goals, 18.3, and he shot almost 80% from the line on a reasonable amount of field goals with a huge 28% usage rate. And so moving over to Atlanta, the first question is, how does he fit with another ball-dominant super point guard like uh, Trey Young, who's so offensive-minded? The theory is they're going to give DeJounte the ball. They're going to move Trey Young off the ball a little bit and put him more in that Steph Curry screen run and roll. Uh, let Trey Young try to develop in an off-the-ball player. Take some of that wear and tear off of his body. DeJounte Murray, I think, was the primary uh, focus of the offseason for the Hawks to cover up some of the defensive deficiencies that uh, that Trey Young obviously has, just being a little tiny dude who's not the most athletic guy and, and has a pretty frail little body for an NBA player. So DeJounte Murray can plug some holes on defense for sure. And then DeAndre Hunter, amongst others, can certainly help. And so they're really just trying to hide Trey Young and put him on the worst offensive player on the other team. But I, I got to believe that the minutes are going to be down a little bit. 
especially if the Hawks plan to be a contender. I don't think they're going to run DeJounte 35 minutes a game. I think 34, maybe even 33 is more likely. Uh, I think they will try to have DeJounte or Trey Young on the floor at all times. But I got to believe almost every single statistical category for DeJounte Murray is going to go down, except maybe his percentages. And that is exactly what Monster thinks as well. Again, we're talking about dropping from 11 to 22, which still makes DeJounte, in my opinion, a clear-cut second-round player in any NBA fantasy draft, 10, 12, 14 teams. I think he's a clear-cut second-rounder somewhere in that mid to, to, to tail end of the second round. Uh, his usage rate has to go down. It was 28 last year. That's a massive number. That's got to go down. It certainly will. Uh, there's just too many other options in Atlanta. And whereas last year, and in, in, you know, playing for the G League Spurs, basically, uh, he was the man. And then there was a bunch of other guys who were trying to become, you know, relevant NBA players around him, a Kelvin Johnson, a Devin Vassell, and you know, so on and so on. Uh, and then again, remember, Pirtle never really shoots the ball. So uh, I just don't see DeJounte getting the same usage rate. So I got to believe his numbers are going to tail off a little bit. Uh, but uh, that that's going to be an interesting experiment to see, you know, trying to jump into the likes of, you know, Boston and Cleveland. And uh, God, it looks like a healthy, you know, stacked Brooklyn team, the Heat, the Sixers. Man, there's a lot of teams that they got. Cleveland now, adding Spider Mitchell, who we're about to talk about. Atlanta's trying to become relevant in the East, and so they reached on DeJounte Murray. Let's see how it works out. Player number two on our list is right here, Donovan Mitchell. Same story, uh, different player. Donovan Mitchell was in Utah. He was a clear-cut alpha there. Um, I do believe he's still the alpha in Cleveland, but I believe he's got some significantly better teammates. And so Cleveland's a problem, maybe not so much this year from a title standpoint, but in the next two or three years, huge, huge factor in the East uh, because they are incredibly young. Donovan Mitchell obviously entering his prime. The other guys are pre-prime, uh, so they're only going to get better. I think the same thing I said about DeJounte is going to apply to Donovan Mitchell. His team's just too damn good for his numbers to be replicated from last year. He was ranked, uh, as you can see, 18th last year. Monsters got him dropping all the way to 35. I'm not sure he's going to drop that far because I think his field goal percentage could drastically improve when you've got a wizard, efficient, genius point guard like Darius Garland, one of the best up-and-coming PGs in the entire league. I think your field goal percentage is going to go up because I think he's going to get more easy shots. I think he had to force a lot of shots last year, late in the shot clock, and not just last year, but for years for Utah. So uh, a lot of the negativity surrounding Donovan Mitchell is about how he's kind of ball dominant and takes you know not the greatest shots, contested shots, and that's why his Field goal percentage was 45. I actually think that field goal percentage could go up. 85% uh, is a high clip from the line, and he shoots a good good number of free throws at 4.7 last year. They think he's going to shoot more this year. I do not. I think he'll shoot less, and I think he'll shoot a lower percentage, so I don't agree with Monster on that. I do agree his usage rate is going to drop from 31.9 to a lower number. I think his usage rate is going to drop more than that, though. Uh, I can't envision he's going to have a 30 usage rate on that Cleveland roster. There's just too many options, and uh, they've also got his minutes actually going up, which I definitely do not think that's going to be the case. 
I suspect Donovan Mitchell will play somewhere right around 32 and a half, 33 and a half minutes. I don't think he's getting to 35 minutes a game, uh, and I'm not sure why he would. Uh, they don't need him on the floor as much as Utah did last year. They've got other players they can rely on. They've got a blossoming, uh, you know, Mobley, who's going to, you know, we'll see if he takes that next step on the offensive end. We know he's going to be a defensive juggernaut. Uh, and then you've got Darius Garland to carry the load, man. I mean, he's the ultimate you know, pass first point guard, the ultimate efficient point guard. He's clearly going to take a next step. He's an all-star. Uh, so I, I agree with Monster that, that Donovan's probably going to drop to a, I don't, I don't think 35 is the number. I think maybe early third round, super early third round. They've got him as, you know, one of the last few picks in a 12-team draft in the third round at 35. I th I'm thinking maybe more 28 uh, to 30, it would be where I would have him in an eight-category Roto League. Uh, next, we've got Rudy Gobert. Uh, same same team that they came from, right? That was the trade uh, when Rudy got, you know, the monstrous number of picks, monstrous number of primarily rotation players and a prospect. Um, from Utah, uh, the mass exodus from Utah is probably not over. Conley's probably next. There's another player uh, that, get, that left Utah as well, Bogdanovich, who we're not even going to talk about on here. But, um, but Bogdanovich is also gone, and he's in Detroit now. But let's talk about Gobert. Obviously, it was a huge haul. They way, 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 way overpaid. I think Minnesota hit the panic button. Uh, speaking of interesting fits, if we thought Trey Young and Dejounte Murray in the backcourt was a strange fit, uh, Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns on the floor at the same town at the same time is going to be extremely interesting. And they may have been taking a page out of Cleveland's book where last year Cleveland played three seven footers on the floor at the same time uh, with great success, uh, to be quite honest with you, at least during the regular season. So I think Minnesota's thinking that they can plug Gobert in at the five, move Carl Towns to the four. Maybe he can exploit some players with his back to the basket, although we know Towns likes to drift out and shoot that three. He's in love with the three ball, and rightfully so. He's a phenomenal three-point shooter. Uh, but Gobert last year was ranked 30th. This year they've got him uh, on a slight downtick at 36. I think it might be a little bit more than that even. I don't think he can block as many shots. I mean, that's his huge value, right, is, is he blocked 2.09 shots last year. They expect him to block the same number this year. I disagree. I think he's going to block noticeably fewer shots. He's a year older. Uh, he's playing on a team where he's not going to play as many minutes, I don't think. Uh, they've got him slotted to play the exact same number of minutes. I'm not sure he will need to. Uh, I also think that Carl Towns blocks shots. Uh, I also think McDaniels blocks shots. Um, I, I just don't think as many teams are going to challenge the rim when you've got two seven-footers in the game. So I think their opponents are going to be a little bit more perimeter-oriented. Uh, the real knock on Gobert is that his free throw percentage is, is awful, uh, and he takes a big chunk of free throws because people know his free throw percentage is awful. And so rather than allow the guy to dunk the ball, they're going to foul the hell out of him. I mean, last year he shot a better field goal percentage than free throw percentage, which is pretty unique in the NBA. Uh, so his, his usage rate is actually also 17 I definitely don't agree with that. I think his usage rate will be significantly lower. Uh, he was probably the second, uh, well, I guess Jordan Clarkson, but he was a, a relevant, you know, a relevant focal point of the offense uh, over in Utah last year. I think he's 
clear-cut maybe fourth or fifth offensive option in Minnesota with the great Anthony Edwards, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, some real relevant bench pieces as well. I just think the usage rate goes down as well. Not that that's really uh, a relevant consideration for Gobert. They did hit the nail on the head with his rebounds going down. I do agree his rebounds are going to go down. There's just too many other guys to share with. I mean, Anthony Edwards is a big, strong rebounding guard. Uh, McDaniels does nothing but defend block shots and rebound and shoot open corner threes. Uh, and then Carl Towns is another seven-footer who rebounds the hell out of the ball. Uh, so there's just going to be fewer rebounds to go around. So I think Gobert is a down tick as well. So I hate to say it, but the three biggest you know acquisitions over the summer from a trade perspective – and all three are going to uh, relevant teams, you know, legitimate contenders, I guess you would have to say. I think all of their fantasy numbers are going to go down. Let's get to the first player that I think, uh, and Monster apparently agrees, because they've got him moving up 43 spots. Uh, the first player that we think whose fantasy value actually improved with the trade. We got Larry Markinen on your screen. I think he's going to go absolutely bananas. If Eurobasket was any indication, he is ready to rock and roll. This is a guy that, you know, I, I, we're talking about fantasy today, but, you know, this is a basketball card channel as well. A lot of people had completely given up on. Uh, he got lost in Chicago, got traded to Cleveland. His career was rejuvenated, and then people were like, well, wait a second, this guy is relevant. You know, coming out of the draft, a lot of the scouts said he was the best shooter period in that 2017 draft and that's a draft that featured a lot of really good NBA players including Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum uh, people thought marketing was the best pure shooter in that draft at 611 seven feet tall uh, you know he's not what you would think he ain't this soft white European post guy he's mean as hell uh, he'll dunk on your face and has dunked on people's faces many times in the NBA big strong uh, you know, I, I think Markkinen is going to take a massive step forward. I'm almost hesitant to say he can't jump 50 spots uh, in the rankings. He was top 100 last year as maybe the fourth or fifth option in Cleveland, playing out of position at the three guard. I think that's going to have made his game take another step forward. I think Markkinen takes a massive step forward, and obviously Monster agrees. That's why his projections are in a green shaded because we think he's going to be much better. Uh, more games, certainly, if he can stay healthy. He will be the focal point of the offense in Utah. So, uh, you know, Sexton at some point is going to get a lot of field goal attempts. But I think Larry Markkinen uh, and Sexton will be the two leading scorers for that Utah team. There's no way Jordan Clarkson finishes the season on that team. Uh, by the time this video airs, he may not even be on that team. Uh, so I think Laurie Markkinen's focal point in uh, in Utah, they're going to be trying to lose. Um, so the only concern would be, you know, late in the season when teams are in this Victor Wimbanyama sweepstakes, um, is that maybe, you know, they're going to bench guys with, you know, slightly sprained ankles for two weeks when they should be out for one game or one half of a game. They're not going to rush people back. This truly is the Victor sweepstakes season, and we're going to see tanking uh, taken to an all-new level to try to get those, uh, you know, those best lottery balls to get that lottery pick. Because uh, from what I've seen of Victor, he looks like a freaking alien. He looks like Giannis and Durant mixed. Uh, but... Uh, anyway, so I like Markkinen taking a huge step forward. Rebounds up, of course. He was on the floor with Jared Allen and Mobley last year, so obviously his rebounds have to go way up. This year, I'm assuming he's going to be on the floor with maybe Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Walker Kessler. Um, I'm trying to think of who that uh, – Kelly Olenek. I mean, he's going to be the primary rebounder on that team amongst those guys. I don't know how much Kessler can get on the floor. Uh, Good-looking prospect, though. 
uh, steals up, blocks up, uh, field goal percentage the same. This is a question mark. This might go down a little bit. Um, the reason I agree with Monster, I think it may remain the same, is I think he's going to spend a little bit more time closer to the basket. Whereas in Cleveland, he had to primarily space the floor when Evan Mobley and Jared Allen were on the floor at the same time, or either one of those. I think he'll be able to play some small ball five, uh, which will put him much closer to the basket. So I think he's going to get more easier baskets, despite the fact that they're going to be terrible. Uh, I think he's going to get more easy baskets, close to the rim, some more dunks. Uh, his field goal attempts, 14.3. Uh, this is where we disagree. I think that's going to jump to about 18, 19. Uh, he was an absolute destroyer and a devourer of souls during Eurobasket consistently. And I know that's not the NBA, but he is riding very high on confidence. Laurie marketing is a huge 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 addition for your fantasy team this year because he's going to give you 86 percent from the line and for a big man that's the real deal his usage is going to go way higher than 22.4 i also disagree with that i just think they're underestimating the difference between playing on an nba team in cleveland and playing on a g league team uh the utah jazz next on our list another guy that i think is going to improve Although I, I don't think that this jump is realistic. I don't think he's going to improve this much. Uh, I do think his minutes are going to go up. Tom Thibodeau is notorious for running his best players into the ground and shortening his rotation and just grinding out minutes from his best players. Uh, you see Jalen Brunson last year was 97. He played 31.9 minutes a game. A lot of that was when Doncic was not on the floor. Uh, this year he's got a relatively mediocre surround, uh, you know, starting five surround him his minutes are definitely going to go way up as per the aforementioned Tom Thibodeau grind session uh, he's going to score more points for sure just from having more minutes in a bigger green light um, his threes up his rebounds up his assists up uh, I think his assists are going to go up more because I think they're going to ask him to do a little bit more dis distribution uh, than they did in Dallas I mean he was pretty much the second best scorer on Dallas's team last year with Tim Hardaway Jr. out and then he had to score a lot with, uh, with Doncic out as well. I don't think he's going to be asked to score as much, but because his minutes are up, he's probably going to score right about the same, maybe a little bit more, maybe in that 17.5 to, to 19 range, you know, something like that. Um, doesn't block any shots, didn't last year, won't this year. He's a little munchkin, um, you know, not the most athletic cat around either. 50% um, field goals, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to get as many easy shots as he did last year. Remember, a lot of his minutes were with Doncic, and Doncic just gets everybody open looks. He's going to be the guy that's responsible for getting people open looks this year. There's no one else that's going to do that for him and get him these easy shots. So uh, I think his field goal percentage at 50% is a little ambitious. I think he probably shoots more in the 46-47% range. His free throws are knocked down. Uh, you can count on those. I'm not sure why they think he's going to jump from 84 to 87. Um, but he is going to take more. And usually when you take more, you can make a higher percentage because you're in more of a rhythm. You know, Whereas when you're taking one or two a game, you just don't have that same free throw rhythm when you're taking five, six a game, it's easier to get in rhythm uh, and your percentage goes up you know, as you get further in the game because you've been acclimated to it. A uh, little minutia details right there. But uh, usage rate up, yeah, probably, I guess so. Uh, we'll see because Doncic ate up so much of the ball when they were in Dallas. So Jalen Brunson, I don't think he's jumping to 58 on my projections. I got him around the 70, 70 to 75. I'm just not ready to buy in completely like I am with Laurie Markkinen. Uh, I think Laurie Markkinen's a lock. Uh, to be the alpha in Utah. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is next on our list. Another uptick, he, uh, uptick here. 
Uh, I think Malcolm Brogdon's going to be – actually, I've got Malcolm Brogdon in uh, green. I'm sorry. Uh, that should be uh, light red. Let's change it here. There we go. That's close enough, right? So I've got Brogdon down uh, as a downturn. I don't think it's going to be this dramatic, though. I really don't. Uh, the thing that really concerns me, though, is that I think they're talking about him coming off the bench and Derek White starting. I don't know – I don't know in what world anybody would think Derek White is as good as Malcolm Brogdon. He's not as good a defender. He's not as good of an offensive player. He's not as intelligent. He's not as he doesn't have a good basketball IQ at all. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is just significantly superior in every single way to Derek White from an NBA basketball standpoint. He's also superior from a fantasy basketball standpoint. So why Malcolm Brogdon would come off the bench, um, you know, with Derek White starting doesn't make any sense to me uh, unless they just want him to come on and destroy second units, but. My guess is Malcolm Brogdon, whether he starts or comes off the bench, is going to get more minutes than Derek White just because he's significantly better. If it doesn't start the season that way, it'll certainly end that way. Uh, he's just a much better player. And Boston picked him up for a bag of chips. It was ridiculous. As a Bucks fan, I couldn't possibly be more pissed off uh, that the Boston Celtics picked up uh, you know, a player of Malcolm Brogdon's caliber for almost nothing in return. Um, obviously, he only played 36 games last year, so that's a very small sample size for his 53 rating last year. Basketball Monsters got him up at 92. Uh, I, I think he's much better than that. I think he's going to be in probably the 65 to 70 range. His points per game are down, and they will be down. He's not going to average 19 points a game in Boston with Jalen and Jason Tatum taking all those shots. Uh, and then there's other relevant offensive players that are going to get their shots up too. Uh, and then there's offensively irrelevant players like Marcus Smart that is also going to get his shots up too. <laughs> Whether he should be taking them or not, dude's putting up the FGAs. So we know that's going to happen. Um, they've got Brogdon down in rebounds, down in assists, uh, steals about the same, blocks about the same. A better percentage, and I do agree, having good teammates around you. And clearly he's got much better teammates around him uh, in Boston than he did in Indiana last year. You would think he would get more open looks, better uh, quality shots, more shots at the rim, just having other intelligent playmaking guards around him like Tatum, like Brown. Um, and, and so uh, same field goal, uh, same free throw percentage. You know, I think at one point in his career, Malcolm Brogdon's free throw percentage touched 90 percent. Uh, 86% is not a stretch. He's that good of a free throw shooter, but his free throw attempts a game are definitely, definitely going to go down. So he's not going to have the same effect on your uh, you know, free throw percentage category in an eight-cat rotisserie league. Uh, his usage rate is definitely going to be down, uh, going from the primary ball handler to probably the third or fourth uh, primary you know, usage rate guy in Boston. So 21.9 looks about right. So Brogdon, I, I look for a down tick. I, I would probably knock him down two rounds. You know, Basketball Monsters knock him down almost four rounds. I just don't see that. Uh, I, I'd like him you know, at the 75 to 80 mark. Uh, somewhere around there, maybe the, uh, what is that, sixth, seventh round, something like that. Um, Christian Woods, the next one, uh, he is definitely going to be worse than he was last year. Uh, it is no secret, I think he, I, he is horrible. I think he's a horrible, um, I, I, let me say this, I don't think he's a horrible fantasy player. I think he's a, uh, he's a loser of a player. And I don't want that to sound too critical because I do try to stay positive. I don't think he helps your team win. Let's put it that way. I'm going to make it, I'm going to say it in the most uh, euphemistic way I possibly can. Christian Wood does not help your team win. I know there's people that are writing about him being the, the linchpin, the difference maker, uh, the ultra modern day center. He ain't that dude. I've watched the guy play because I'm a Kevin Porter Jr. card collector. 
And I, and I wanted to see Jalen Green play, and I like watching Alperin Shingun play. So I actually, and Josh Christopher for that matter, I watched a lot of Rockets games, more than any non-Houstonian watched probably because I wanted to see these young guards develop. And, uh, and Christian Wood is a black hole. When this guy touches the ball, either it's a turnover or it's a shot. And so as you can see last year, his usage rate was 22.8. They've said that JaVale McGee is going to start. Wood's coming off the bench. I don't know how long that lasts. I mean, again, there's some teams that do that, and I can't ever understand it. Why don't you just start the best player and play him the most minutes? Uh, but some teams just don't do it. I don't know if they're hard-headed or what, but JaVale McGee's your starter. That being said, Christian Wood's going to play 30 minutes a game. He is. They've got him for 29. He's going to play more than that. He's going to play 30, 31 for sure. Uh, his issue is he's so dumb. You know, well, I shouldn't say that. He, his basketball IQ is so poor, and he is so poor uh, moving his feet that he's going to be in foul trouble if he plays 30 minutes a game. So he's not even going to be able to get to 35, 36 minutes a game because he's going to be in foul trouble uh, oftentimes. Uh, the question is, can they play him at the four? You know, can they go monstrous, right? Can Dallas do that? Does it make sense for Dallas to do that with Doncic on the floor? Or do you want to just spread it with five wide? If you're looking to, you know, run pick and rolls with a rim runner, JaVale McGee's your guy. Uh, if you're looking to run pick and rolls with a pick and pop, Christian Wood's your guy. And so I think he'll find himself playing a lot of time at the five. Uh, I like Christian Wood around the 95-minute mark. Uh, his free throws are awful, and he shoots a lot, which means he's going to get fouled a lot, which means he's going to take probably four, four to five free throws a game like he did last year. Uh, they've got his usage rate at about the same. I'm not sure about that. Uh, he's definitely not going to shoot 50% from the floor again this year because I think he's falling in love with the three-point shot uh, more and more each year. And uh, the more threes you take, especially when you're not a great three-point shooter, the lower your field goal percentage is going to be. So I look for his free throw percentage to be noticeably below 50%. Uh, he will be freed up, you know, if he does play next to JaVale McGee to play some four and, and do some things. But uh, we just got to see. He, his rebounding is going to go way down because, uh, you know, I, I just don't see him replicating what he did in Houston where he had the unabashed green light for sure to do anything and everything he wanted from Lucas. Uh, so next uh, we've got uh, Colin Sexton, another guy that's going to the, the G League Utah Jazz. He is going to put up massive numbers. I'm sure Conley is starting from day one. I know, um, you know, your guy Jordan Clarkson's coming off the bench to give buckets. Uh, so I don't see it making any sense for Sexton and Clarkson to come off the bench together because uh, Jordan Clarkson's always kind of had that green light as the bench scorer for that second unit. I think at some point Colin Sexton becomes a starter, and I think at some point um, the Jazz find a taker for Mike Conley just to be a locker room guy and a backup point guard on a contending team. Utah is not that team, and I know he's like the father figure and the mentor and all that stuff, but... Uh, they don't need that, man. They need th this is an audition. This is a Victor Wimbanyama sweepstakes, and this is an audition to figure out who their core is going to be in the next two, three, four years, and who they want to re-sign. Uh, they're going to give Colin Sexton the ball and see if he can play point guard. Uh, right now, that's the question: is is he the next Jordan Clarkson, or can he play point guard? Uh, believe it or not, if you go back, obviously he didn't have any numbers last year; he was injured all year. But if you go back and look at the year before that, when he was playing with Darius Garland and he played the point guard position with Darius Garland on the on the floor at the same time he put up damn good numbers you guys need to go back and look I know he's a forgotten player in fantasy he's a forgotten player in the basketball card collecting hobby as well you guys need to go back Colin Sexton I know he doesn't fit the bill as a true point guard but 
He put up some pretty damn relevant numbers as a really young player in Cleveland the year before he got injured. The question is, how does he come back from this injury? Has he come back 100%? Has he come back at 85%? I don't know. Uh, but I know this, if he's remotely healthy, I look for him to take a huge step forward. I would have Colin Sexton way higher than 101st. That's just me. Uh, he's a good free throw shooter. He's going to shoot a hellacious quantity. His usage rate is going to be really high, and Basketball Monster agrees, pushing 30 on the usage rate is serious. That's uh, way higher than DeJounte Murray. That's pretty much the highest on anybody on this list, including Donovan Mitchell. Um, I think he's better than this. I think he's going to rebound more. I think he's going to assist more. I think he's going to look like a poor man's Russell Westbrook. That's what I think we're going to see from Colin Sexton. I do think his field goal percentage is going to suffer because he's going to be asked to do so much more in those really tough, contested, late shot clock shots that Donovan Mitchell used to take in Utah will now be Colin Sexton or Jordan Clarkson taking those contested you know, perimeter shots. And so I think for a lot of those reasons, and, and they're going to suck so bad, they're always going to be overmatched. I think Colin Sexton is going to have to take a lot of shots like that. Again, like we discussed with Mark and in the concern with Sexton is that in tank mode, sometimes teams shut players down for injuries that may not exist. Uh, and or, you know, they hold them out a little bit longer than they should because losses matter a lot more than player development when you're trying to put a player like Victor Wimbanyama into your organization, especially Utah, where free agents don't flock to Utah. No offense to my Utah friends. Not, I think I only have one. Uh, but you're not picking up anybody in free agency. Uh, nobody demands to be traded to Utah, no matter how good they are. So your best bet is finding the next Stockton or Malone and then keeping them in your organization and developing them and paying them a hellacious amount of money to where they won't want to leave. Same thing that the Bucks have done uh, with Giannis. So basically that's it. So uh, next on the list, to be clear, I like Sexton a lot higher than 101. I like Sexton somewhere around, I mean, I'll be honest with you, like I like Sexton more than I like Brogdon. Uh, so I would put Sexton in that 75 to 80 range. That's just me. I'm higher on him than Monster is. I really think if healthy, and I'm going to take a closer look at these preseason games and make sure he's good to go. I think at some point he's a clear-cut starter. He's 32, 33, 34 minutes a game, and he's going to be asked to do everything, which is going to help his aggregate numbers. It's going to depress his field goal percentage, uh, and, and his turnovers obviously are going to be sky high if you're in a non-cat league, but uh, I like Sexton in the 75 to 80, low 80s range. Uh, next on the list is Jared Vanderbilt. I, I can't believe I am talking about Jared Vanderbilt as an energy uh, rim running big who blocks shots and rebounds and slaps the floor and gives you energy because I coached against this kid uh, when he was on the Houston Hoops playing with Justice Winslow and De'Aaron Fox and uh, those guys down uh, in the EYBL, the Nike EYBL, I coached against this kid and he was a perimeter shooting wing. Uh, who I was wondering if he was going to be able to transition and handle the ball well enough to play that position. But he was a, um, a perimeter shooting wing, and I just can't believe that he's turned into this energy guy. He's almost like a poor man's Kenneth Fareed. And he's really not that poor of a poor man's. He, I mean, last year, the guy averaged, uh, you know, where are we at? Let me find his points per game. Uh, oops, shoot, I should have brought those down a little bit more. So there's points. Okay, so last year he averaged seven points and eight and a half rebounds per game in 25 minutes. Dude, eight and a half rebounds a game in 25 minutes is getting after it. That means if you're playing 32 minutes, you're touching double-figure rebounds a game, and I think he'll push that, and that's what Monster thinks as well. The issue is he's not going to score the ball at all. He doesn't. He's, he's almost like a, a Dennis Rodman. He'll dunk it back if he's open. 
but he's not going to give you a lot of shots. As you can see from his 10 usage rate last year, they think that's even going to go down, and it might. Uh, but I think he's a great fit next to Laurie Markkinen because he's a very versatile defender. I mean, on switch and pick and rolls, he can really move his feet for a big, um, and he rebounds the hell out of the ball. And that's something that Markkinen hasn't really done yet, but we don't know if it's because he's been on the same team as these other seven-footers or if he's just not a great rebounder. We just don't know yet, right? There are big dudes out there who you would think would be great rebounders, but they're not. Like, Brooke Lopez comes to mind. He's not a great rebounder. He's just not. Uh, so uh, I think Vanderbilt's going to get plenty and plenty and plenty of time, especially since so many shots are going to be taken by Sexton and Clarkson and Larry Markinen uh, that I think Jared Vanderbilt's going to find his way on the floor. The real question mark is who gets all those minutes, Jared Vanderbilt or Kelly Olenek? I don't think Kelly Olenek is a legitimate uh, option long-term in Utah. I don't think he's their answer to any position. Uh, you know, he's going to be an absolutely relevant fantasy player as well, and he could have been on this list in addition. Uh, but Jared Vanderbilt's going to be better this year than last year because he's young and he's improving. I mean, he's approaching his prime, and so there's no reason to suspect he would be worse. I'm not sure why they think his free throw percentage is going to go down 4%, but uh, maybe there was a trend late in the season where his free throw percentage started to, to wane, but he used to play the perimeter when he was in high school and, and at Kentucky, so I think he's going to figure that out and shoot the ball a little bit better. I do like his field goal percentage, right, although he doesn't take very many. As you can see, he's only going to average like probably six to eight points a game. I wouldn't be surprised if he pushed 10 points a game just because I think he's going to push 30 minutes a game. He played 25 last year on a loaded Minnesota team. Uh, this is a terrible Utah team. I think Jared Vanderbilt's minutes are going to be higher than that, and for that reason, I got Jared Vanderbilt pretty solidly in that 95 to 100 range. Just realize he's not going to give you the points that you want uh, in the field goal percentage. Don't overemphasize it because he's not taking enough field goal percentages at 60% to truly affect that category in your true uh, rotisserie category, uh, eight cat league. Uh, next on the list is Jeremy Grant, and uh, this is going to be a sad story. They've got him dropping uh, even more than Malcolm Brogdon, uh, so, and I agree. Uh, going to uh, Portland, Detroit was basically last year's Utah, okay, and that's what they were. It was the Cade Cunningham show, uh, watching Cade develop, figuring out if Marvin Bagley could still play basketball. Uh, this year, uh, Jeremy Grant's traded to a team that thinks they can win. I hope he's right because I'm a big Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard fan and collector. Uh, but I don't think uh, – I'm, I'm trying to be as objective as I can. I think they're a middle-of-the-road team at absolute best, assuming Nurkic stays healthy. Jeremy Grant's kind of the answer for them at that three position. The question is, 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 is are we going to see the Jeremy Grant that we saw in Denver who understood his role and was a role player and knocked down open shots and then did all the dirty work and guarded all the best players? Or are we going to see the Jeremy Grant that demanded a chance to become the alpha on a team and then went to Detroit and, in all fairness, put up really good numbers, albeit at a terrible field goal percentage, uh, you know, in 32 minutes a night, he was averaging 19 points a game. He's averaging 19 and four. He's obviously got to rebound the ball a lot better than that. And I think his rebounds are actually going to go up more than this. Uh, they've got him rebounding about the same as last year. Uh, Nurkic is, you know, he's there, but he's not a good out of area rebounder. If it's near him, he's got it. He's going to snatch it with his giant mitts, but He's not a guy that's crazy active where he's going to be just stealing rebounds from other players. He doesn't have that type of motor. So I think Jeremy Grant's going to get a chance to rebound the heck out of the ball because they're going to play small a lot as well. Uh, so I, I like Jeremy Jeremy Grant's rebounds going up. His points are going to go way down. I agree with this. I think 15. He, he could go 15, 15 and a half, 16. I think that's a realistic number. Um 
you know, his threes actually, I think, might go up because he's not going to have the ball in his hands as much. So I think his threes might actually tip over to a game, but that's only going to drop his field goal percentage even more. The one redeeming factor about Jeremy Grant is he's a really good free throw shooter. He took five and a half last year at 84%. He will take fewer this year. We do know that because Dame and Simons are going to dominate that ball, as they should, because both of those guys are absolute studs. Uh, so I like Jeremy Grant dropping. I don't know if I would drop Jeremy Grant this much. This is almost uh, – he's almost half as well ranked as he was last year from 62 to 119. Seems a little bit extreme, um, uh, especially when they think that his minutes are actually going to go up. I don't know if his minutes are actually going to go up, uh, but I think his minutes are probably going to be a nice steady there. He's going to a better team. Uh, you know, maybe foul trouble is the reason they think his minutes are going to go up. He doesn't have to do as much on this uh, Portland team as he did on Detroit. I, I don't know, but uh, I don't suspect his minutes are going to jump to 33. Maybe that's a coaching uh, theory behind that. But I like Jeremy Grant in the 105 to 110 range. I do think it's going to be a precipitous drop-off from last year. So if you had him last year in your dynasty team, I'd maybe try to move him uh, if maybe somebody's not paying quite as much attention and uh, and drop him on the list. So that's it, guys. There's your 10 guys. Uh, DeJounte Murray, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, all still second, third round guys, all still studs, just not to the same level as last year for different reasons. Uh, most notably, they're all moving to better teams, just much better teams. And so their opportunities are going to be uh, lower, in my opinion. Uh, Laurie Markkinen moving to a G League team. Huge numbers. I really like his explosion this year. I think he's going to take maybe a bigger step forward. Him or Cade Cunningham would be the two guys that I think are going to take the biggest step forward from a last year's ranking to a this year's final ranking standpoint uh, as far as relevant players. I mean, obviously somebody could go from 200 to 120. We know that can happen. It happens every year. Finding those guys sometimes wins you your fantasy league. Uh, but uh, but Laurie Markkinen is going to take a humongous jump. Jalen Brunson, uh, I think, is going to be improved, but I don't think he's going to be improved to the extent Monster does. I don't see him getting that much better. Um, and then Brogdon, we know, is not going to be the same because he's moving to a better team and he's got two alpha dominant ball handlers around him with Jalen Brown and Tatum. Christian Wood, worse this year than last year, if that's even possible. Yeah, I'm not the most objective person on Christian Wood because he took shots away from guys that should be taking them. Colin Sexton, way better. Vanderbilt a slight uptick better and I think his minutes are going to be better than uh, Monster thinks I think they're going to go up to touch a little bit over 30 maybe 30 31 and then Jeremy Grant is significantly different than he was last year not going to be the same player same thing with Malcolm Brogdon going from bad to good just makes it much more difficult when you're no longer the alpha so uh, we'll see that's it guys that's my thought those are my 10 guys new places for new faces, I can't wait for this NBA season to get started. Are you guys as excited as me? I'm going to be putting out a lot more of these fantasy basketball videos as I get geared up for my dynasty fantasy draft. We'll talk a little bit more about my particular draft going forward because I like to share my collecting journey and my fantasy basketball journey with you guys. Uh, if there's anything I missed, I could have put Kelly Olenek in here. I probably should have because he's going to push top 100 status for sure uh, by anybody's measures, but I didn't pull him and put him in here. But if there's anybody that I forgot that you guys I think I should have mentioned that got traded who's going to really make a difference. I know Dennis Schroeder got traded. There's a couple other guys. Uh, you know, John Wall. If you think some of these guys are going to push top 100 type numbers, let me know in the comments. I'm always curious what other people think. Uh, everybody loves to talk about sleepers and busts. We're talking about sleepers and busts uh, who only got traded today. So there's my list of 10 impact players and my thoughts on whether they're going to improve or get worse from a fantasy perspective. Thank you guys for watching. As always, keep collecting.
Stay positive in the hobby, and peace.